Luke chapter 14 today will be the focus of our attention. Please take your Bibles or your devices or whatever way you have to get a copy of Word of God and find your way to Luke chapter 14 if you are able. And I'm going to share with you a message that I have titled, No Dinner for the Disinterested. No Dinner for the Disinterested. And as we kind of collect our thoughts around this topic, I want to share with you a a story about a a man that I heard, a middle-aged man who one day, about 15 minutes before it was time to sit down for dinner, said to his wife, Honey, I invited a friend of mine over from work so that he could enjoy dinner with us tonight. He should be here soon. Well, as most of you might expect in your own homes, the wife was beside herself in this moment. And so she said to her husband, have you lost your mind? The house is a mess. I'm not wearing any makeup today. The dishes are mostly dirty. And besides, I'm just heating up a frozen meal for you. And I don't have the groceries or the energy to cook some sort of fancy meal for company. Well, the husband looked kindly at his wife and said, I know all of that honey, but this poor fellow tells me that he's going to get married so that he'll have someone to cook and to clean for him, and I just want him to have a better understanding about what he's getting himself into. (laughs) You know, hosting other people for dinner can be a big undertaking, If you're going to undertake the task of hosting well, then you must begin well in advance of your company's arrival. There are invitations to extend. There's a dinner plan that must be determined. There are groceries that need to be purchased. There's a house that needs to be cleaned. There are dishes that need to be washed. There are courses to be coordinated and recipes to be followed and tables to be set. Most, if not all of us, would not be prepared for an event like that with only 15 minutes of time to prepare. But if the people who hosted dinners around the time of Jesus' first coming could look ahead and see our time and see all the gadgets and all the appliances and all the grocery stores that we have, available to us both in our homes and shortly nearby then surely those individuals looking ahead to our time would have surely thought that we have it easy for when someone wanted to host a banquet in Jesus's day that person had to step into the garden or they had to step into the stable or they had to travel by foot or by beast to the marketplace in order to find the items that were needed These were the days of manual labor with no electricity. So when an individual decided to host others for a meal, you can imagine that the the host had many streams of preparations that he had to oversee. And the timing of how all of those streams of preparation would come together was quite unpredictable. Therefore, if a wealthy individual in Jesus' day would desire to have a banquet, would desire to host others from the community over to share in a large meal, 
then he would extend the invitation to that banquet in two different stages. First, he would send his servants to notify individuals that a banquet was being planned with kind of a rough idea of where that was going to fall on the calendar. A rough idea of when you might expect things will be ready. This was an opportunity for individuals to RSVP as we would do in our day. So as to say, you know, I know the banquet's not ready yet. I know that one day soon, sometime soon, the banquet will be ready. And I just want to let you know, when that banquet is ready, I want to be a part of that. And it would be practically unheard of for individuals to refuse an invitation to a banquet in that day when banquets were some of the largest social gatherings, some of the chief forms of entertainment for individuals who lived in a day before television and computers and Netflix and cell phones and whatever else occupies us with entertainment. But because there was so much time to prepare and the timing of when things would come together was unsure, a second stage of the invitation was needed. Once things were prepared, once all the coordination had happened, once the table was set, the host would send out his servants To those who had RSVP'd in that first stage of the invitation, he would say, now things are ready. Come and dine. And you can imagine all the host had invested of himself in this banquet by that time. For someone to RSVP and then to say, you know, I can't really make it after all, would be a great offense against the host who had invested in this banquet and and invested greatly of himself at this point. He had done all this to prepare for them. They had said they were coming, and now if they were to tell him, I'm sorry, on greater revelations, I can no longer make it. You can imagine how that would make the host angry. That would disappoint the host. That would leave the host in in a serious state of losing what he had invested And that's exactly the sort of scenario that Jesus presents to us as we come into Luke chapter 14, verse 15, which will be the focus of our attention here today, verses 15 to 24. In these verses, Jesus tells us a parable. And the parable is simply an everyday sort of story that conveys some deeper spiritual truths. Jesus often would use this sort of mechanism of teaching, just using things that you might encounter in your everyday life that would ultimately have ties to some deeper spiritual realities that God was conveying through these stories. And the story that Jesus presents here in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16, is of a man who gives a big dinner. He invites many who ultimately RSVP. They ultimately receive the first invitation. They say, I'll be there when this banquet is ready. But then they subsequently refuse to come when the meal the meal is all prepared when the dinner is ready they've lost their interest in the meal for one reason or another and so they make excuses and they refuse to follow through with their reservation that's why i've titled today's message no dinner for the disinterested look with me now as we look to this passage in luke chapter 14 Starting in verse 15, if you're able, I'd ask that you would stand and we might honor the reading of God's word together. Luke 15, starting in Luke 14, starting in verse 15. 
Here we read, When one of those who were reclining at the table with him, that is with Jesus, heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, here's the parable, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, so here's the second stage of the invitation for those that he's invited, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, again, they've been invited in the first stage, here comes the second stage of the invitation, what does he say? Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, just to set the stage a little bit, let me remind you a little bit about what we talked about last week as we came into Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus has been invited into the house of one of the chiefs of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, of course, were this group that Jesus was constantly butting heads with as he called out their hypocrisy. They were the ones who were respected as being the religious leaders of the Jews in this day. And so, People would come to them with expectations that the Pharisees were going to guide the people in the past that led to God, but instead the Pharisees found a way to ultimately place burdens on individuals. They loaded them up with so many interpretations of what was truly God's law that ultimately were not of God's law. They were man-made traditions and interpretations. They loaded all of these things on the individuals such that they were oppressed. Their backs were breaking under the load of trying to carry these many burdens. And yet, Jesus has called them out over and over again. As a matter of fact, a couple of chapters back, we saw that eventually these individuals who now invite Jesus into their home have come to the resolution that they are going to watch Jesus closely so that they might catch him in something that he's doing wrong, so that they might accuse him. Therefore, they might bring his ministry down so that the people will stop seeing their own ministries as being less worthy they were self-elevating religious hypocrites and jesus called them out on that over and over again and yet one of them a chief among them has invited jesus to come and to share in a meal in his house and as jesus comes there is this man who is here that we saw last week who ultimately is suffering with a medical condition known as dropsy it's a medical condition which ultimately would 
cause your body to swell under an immense buildup of fluids. And this man, we would surmise, is ultimately one who's been brought here by the Pharisees, and this is a setup to try and get Jesus because the day when this event happens, when this banquet is held, when Jesus gathers around the table with these individuals is a day that is a Sabbath day. It is a day when God has commanded his people to rest, when God has commanded his people to enjoy his favor. And yet, they were expecting to catch Jesus, but what they were not expecting was that Jesus would ultimately turn the tables on them. Jesus would call them out for their hypocrisy as Jesus ultimately turns the question to them and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Well, the Pharisees remained quiet. They didn't want to get caught up answering the wrong way. And so Jesus does what they expected him to do. He heals the man. He sends the man away. And then Jesus calls the Pharisees out for their hypocrisy. He says, which of you, if you have a son or you have an ox that falls into a pit or into a well on the Sabbath, they will not reach in to bring either that source of family love or that source of financial gain out of that ditch. He's called out their hypocrisy. And as you can imagine, the tension is kind of ratcheting up. They were already opposed to Jesus, but Jesus is continuing to ratchet the tension up. Then, as if it wasn't ratcheted up high enough, Jesus calls out the individuals who are joining him at this banquet as they choose their seats around the table. And he tells them, you know, you guys are jockeying for the chief seats in the house. What you ought to do is go to the lowest seats in the house. You ought to have the the host invite you up so that you will be honored instead of being discouraged. So so now he's had a confrontation with everyone else who's gathered. Then he turns his attention to his host. And he speaks to the host, essentially telling the host, you've invited all the wrong people. You should have invited the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. You should have had them in here for this banquet. So Jesus just continues to ratchet up the tension around this table until we come to ultimately verse 15 when someone else who's around the table has a word to say it's as if this one realizes the thickness of the tension that is in the air and he's trying to break that down and so one of the guests at the table tries to break the tension And in verse 15 we read, When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, like, oh, he's thinking, what's something I can say that we'll all be on the same page with? I mean, goodness, there's so much controversy, so much tension. He said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now that's a statement that causes Jesus to launch into the parable that we've read. And it's also the statement that contains the key that unlocks the deeper spiritual truth behind the parable that Jesus is revealing to us in this passage. Because Jesus isn't just concerned about how polite you are when people invite you over for a meal. No, in these verses, Jesus is calling for each and every one of you to consider how you will respond to God's invitation to join him around the table in the kingdom of God. You see, God has promised a great banquet for those who come to him through his son, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah spoke of this promise 
in this way in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This was that promise there in the Old Testament. Likewise, when we come to the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter chapter of the book of Revelation, the apostle John hears the voice of the multitude of individuals who have been saved, and they are rejoicing as the bride of Jesus, as they are now prepared for a meal that is referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And today, in this place, I want you to know that Jesus invites you to be saved in order that you might be among those who are given this opportunity to gather with Him, to enjoy His blessing, to be His bride, to share communion with Him for all of eternity. In this great banquet that is coming. And Jesus invites you to join him around the table in the kingdom of God. Consistent testimony of scripture. So as you consider that invitation. As you consider that Jesus is inviting you through the words that we read here today. As you consider that Jesus is inviting you through the work that he has done on the cross. Through the empty tomb. I want you to to consider that invitation. I want you to consider it from four different angles. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you four considerations on how to rightly respond to the Lord's invitation. The first is this. Mark the appointment on your calendar. Mark the appointment on your calendar. If you were invited to a dinner here on earth, one of the first things you would do, for most of us at least, would be to put that event on your calendar. And you'd record the details of the invitation. When and where will this dinner take place? And in verse 16, Jesus begins this parable. And as he does so, he gives the details of the invitation. As he begins by saying to this man who's mentioned this forthcoming banquet in the kingdom of God. He says, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. So the context here is a big dinner. And the word that's translated big here is a word that's referring to the size or the volume of a certain thing. Elsewhere in the New American Standard translation, that same word is translated great or even huge. And we can hardly imagine the immensity of this dinner, which will include individuals we see scripturally from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language and so the man in this parable corresponding to God who hosts this great banquet invites others to come to the table is ultimately said to have invited many God God is revealing to us through Christ his invitation for many to come to himself and that's truly the case God has invited many of us to come to his banquet 
in the stages of invitations with banquets in Jesus' day, the first stage has already been completed. The first step of the invitation has already been extended through the prophets, through the law of Moses, through the, the forefathers of these Jews. God has invited many individuals. God has invited a special people to participate in this banquet. And that special people is the nation of Israel. But now, for the second stage of this invitation, as it arrives, we read in verse 17 that at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. So do you see the parallel? Ultimately, John the Baptist, as the slave of God, had come pronouncing, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the one who ultimately is the Messiah. Likewise, Jesus has over and over again compelled the Jews to come after him. As he goes to the Father, he will lead them to the Father. He is the narrow door that leads into this banquet. And he extends his invitation. And there's a few facets of this invitation that are worthy, our, worthy of our attention. The first is this. The invitation is simple. For Jesus simply says, come. The invitation is not by Jesus to all of us. Come and prove yourselves worthy. No, it's simply to come. As Jesus said in John 7, 37, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he also says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Isn't that a simple invitation? I mean, it's so simple that a small child can obey it. And yet the grace of God which backs it up is so profound that even the most seasoned theologian will never fully grasp it. But here's what you need to know. To have dinner with Jesus in his kingdom, you must respond personally to his simple invitation. You must respond to his command to come. And the invitation comes at each of us. Each of us must determine how we will respond. The invitation is simple, but what it represents is costly. Because Jesus is ultimately paid with his own death so that we might have the opportunity to come. The requirements of you are simple. The invitation is simple, but also the invitation is secured because Jesus says everything is ready. Jesus doesn't say, you know, get yourself together and then you can come. He doesn't say prove yourself worthy and then you can come. He doesn't say round up a salad or a dessert that you can contribute to my potluck meal and then you can come. No, the reality is that we have nothing good within us that will be able to add to what God has so richly provided for us in this dinner, in this great gathering of those who are redeemed. Everything is ready, says the one who hosts the banquet. There's nothing more for you to add because Jesus has accomplished all the preparations. Before he breathed his last breath and died upon the cross, Jesus said, it is finished because Jesus has done all the work he has prepared the table and this is such a great picture of what God freely offers so freely offers to sinners like you and like me when you come to this heavenly banquet in Christ he doesn't just offer you a tuna sandwich or some pizza 
He lays the whole spread before you. Think of what you can receive in Christ. For those of you who are in Christ, think of what has already been provided to you in his great feast to sustain you. He gives you a fountain of living water that washes away all your sins. He gives you the presence of his Holy Spirit who lives within you and feeds you peace to replace your anxiety, joy to replace your depression, power to overcome your sinful habits, and wisdom to walk in the paths of God. He gives you his own son as a constant presence who is with you always, even to the end of the age. And he gives you the promise of eternity with him in heaven. Everything is ready, my friends. The invitation is secured. Jesus invites you to his table where you will surely eat until your every need is satisfied. But also the invitation is serious. For Jesus says, come for everything is ready now. So as you're making this appointment in your calendar, know the appropriate time to come is now. As Paul conveyed in 2 Corinthians 6-2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And if you will not come now, then you may not have another opportunity to come at all as those who have been invited and now reject Jesus' invitation in this parable soon find. God extends his invitation for you to come through the narrow door and to find life now. He compels you to entrust your life to Christ now. Everything is prepared now. So will you come to him now? Yes, mark this date on your calendar and come now. That's the first consideration of how to rightly respond to the Lord's invitation. Here's the second. Don't make silly excuses for selfish purposes. That's what the individuals in this parable do. Three different responses are given to us in rapid-fire order as Jesus continues to tell this parable. But they exemplify the response of everyone who has been invited. For verse 18 says, They all alike began to make excuses. There's no one who's RSVP'd to this great banquet who does not, not now at this moment turn the one who's invited him down. So let's look at a case-by-case study of the three examples of those who are turning down this invitation now that it's ready. The first, in verse 18, says to the host of the banquet, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. I I I mean, really. You said you wanted to go to the banquet earlier, but now you say that you can't because you need to go and look at dirt. I mean, that sounds like a really exciting sort of experience, right? What a great reason to miss a good banquet that you've RSVP'd to. I'm going to go look at dirt. I mean, that's a silly excuse. And the Pharisees and the lawyers around the table with Jesus would have realized that it was. Who buys a piece of land without seeing it? And what good would it do to review the land after you had already purchased it? I mean, did this land have like some sort of 24-hour return policy on it? No, this was just a silly excuse for a selfish purpose. The individual who gave this excuse was too wrapped up in his possessions to accept the invitation to dinner. He was disinterested in the host's invitation. Likewise, a second individual 
has possessions on his mind. He has his material things on his mind. He's obviously a wealthy individual because verse 19 says that he's bought five yoke of oxen. Now, a yoke of oxen would be two oxen together within that yoke. So ultimately, he's bought 10 oxen. And he says, I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. That is, this individual is so excited about the 10 oxen he's just purchased He's going to go back on his word and fail to follow through what he previously indicated he would be interested in. Surely he could have tried out those oxen at some other time. Surely he could have put his possessions on the back burner so that he could fully respond to the invitation to come and to dine. What a silly excuse, we say. And yet both of these first instances contain individuals who are disinterested in attending this plentiful banquet because material possessions are preventing them from responding to the invitation. And oh, how many men and women have chosen the things of this world, the stuff of this world, the possessions, the material goods of this world over the things of God, over the invitation to come. And to dine with the one who offers plentifully all that we need. And for the third individual, the issue is not possessions, but relationships. For this individual has a new wife. That's what we read in verse 20. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for this reason I cannot come. Here, too, we see the peril of so many individuals who refuse to come to Christ. They're so committed to one or more relationships that they simply will not come. They look at Christ's invitation, and they know that in order to walk through the narrow door, one must empty himself of all of his greater commitments to both possessions and to people, and they simply cannot fathom giving up the hot rod, if it means that doing so enables them to go to the nations for the cause of Christ. They simply cannot fathom giving up the sweetheart or the group of friends if it means living under Christ's lordship. And here's how we find so many single individuals who end up yoked in an unbiblical sort of yoke. Oh, but he loves me. Oh, but he'll change. And they find themselves pursuing relationships over the God who ultimately has called for them not to be unequally yoked and warns them of the dangers that that includes. But in the end, these excuses keep individuals out of the banquet. This is a grave warning, friends, because our silly excuses can keep us out of heaven. As Spurgeon once said, excuses are curses. And when you have no excuses left, then there will be hope for you. So I ask you, what excuses are you using to justify your unwillingness to come to Christ? Or maybe you have come to Him. What excuses are you using to prevent you from living out what you ultimately said you wanted to respond to in the invitation that was given to you? Oh, my friends, I hope you will lay those excuses in the dust and respond to his invitation. No, don't make silly excuses for selfish purposes. That's the second consideration of how to rightly respond to the Lord's invitation. Here's the third. Bring a hearty appetite. 
when those who were previously invited refused their host's invitation to come and dine, we read in verse 21 that the slave who was representing his host comes back and reports to his master, then the head of the household came, became angry, we read. Should we really expect anything else than that this head of the household would become angry in this circumstance? The host has gone to great lengths for these people to enjoy his provisions. Much of his time and his money and his attention has been dedicated to offering them something special. But they're disinterested. They have no appetite. And so this host is rightfully angry. And likewise, God is rightfully angry when you deny his grace. He has gone to great lengths to prepare the eternal banquet that he invites you to. He sent his own son to die in your place. He sent his prophets and invested his time and his patience as he prepared the table. But now that Christ has come, now that everything is ready, will you still refuse to come in? An answer in response to his invitation. If you still do that, if you still refuse to come, if you still have no appetite, if you are still disinterested in Christ, then there is no further hope for you. Christ is God's only plan. You were already under his wrath because of your sin against him before you were invited to this banquet. And your refusal to go into the banquet leaves you nothing more than where you were before. On the end of God's wrath, you're left to eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth as we've seen Jesus talking about in the deplorable state of those who will not come to life. And so, oh friend, I hope that you have an appetite for the things of God. Whether you realize it or not, you have a great need for what God provides. When the host of this banquet is rejected, he sends his slave out again saying, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Poor, crippled, blind, and lame. I mean, what a group to have for your dinner. What a group to have for your feast. I mean, what do the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame all have in common? I'll tell you what they have. They all have undeniable needs. There's something deficient in all of them that they long to have filled by someone else. The poor man wishes that someone else would meet the needs of his finances. The crippled man wishes that someone would enable his limbs to function properly. The blind man wishes that someone would restore his sight. The lame man wishes that someone would enable him to walk. They all know that there's something that they desperately need. And if they were invited to a banquet like this one, a big banquet, a huge banquet like this one, they would all jump at the opportunity for someone to meet their needs. I mean, just imagine, just imagine if a multimillionaire were to send his limo driver out in his personal limousine into the poorest section of town. And he told that driver to find all of the bums in ragged clothes and to bring them back for a feast. That driver then finds a bum and he gets out and he asks, would you like to come to a feast at my master's mansion? I'll take you there. Just get in. 
Can you imagine what that bum's response is going to be? He's going to say, what's the catch? Well, you can imagine the limo driver saying, well, there is no catch. My master is a kind and generous man. He has prepared a meal like you would not believe. Won't you come? And the bum says, well, well, I haven't had a bath in days. I haven't washed my clothes in weeks. These rags that I have on are all that I own. I would feel out of place at a mansion like that. Well, well, the limo driver says, don't worry. There will be many others just like you once you get there. The food is on the table. The dinner's about to begin. Come just as you are. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, we don't find that sort of grace exercised often in the world in which we live. And it sounds too good to be true. But friends, hear me on this. It is good, but it's also true. The only trouble we have is that each of us must ultimately realize, we must ultimately admit that we are nothing more than needy bums. Spiritually, we have nothing to commend ourselves to God. Salvation is not based on anything that is within us. In fact, it is offered freely in spite of us in that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God provided this for us. It's all of God's free grace. And so I ask you, are you hungry for God to provide what you need? We've all fallen in Adam. We've all been brought forth in sin. Furthermore, we've all fallen in our daily sins. We've all fallen in our constant iniquity against God. And our sin provokes the anger of the most high God. As a just God, he most assuredly must execute judgment for the sins that we have committed. And so if you continue in your sinfulness, if you continue to make excuses and reject his salvation, his invitation, this means that you will be sentenced to punishment in hell. But surely you've heard of the great mercy God has shown in this matter. He has provided a way whereby he can remain fully just and honorable while forgiving the sins of the guilty and the undeserving and welcoming these filthy bums like you and me into his great banquet. All you and I need is Jesus Christ who is descended from heaven, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, begotten of the Holy Ghost. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived in this world a life of exemplary sinlessness and holiness and the deepest suffering he faced till at last he gave himself up to die for our sins, bearing the penalty of God. And now the plan of salvation is simply declared unto you. Hear this gracious invitation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Lord Jesus, my friends, is your greatest need. But the people of Israel had no appetite for the Messiah that God had sent. When the dinner hour came, Christ made it clear that everything is ready now, but the Jewish leaders made excuses. They would not come. So the Lord expanded his invitation to the outcasts of Israel. The Pharisees despised those people as born entirely in sin, as we saw them speaking of the man who had been born blind in John chapter 9. 
Many of the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners of Jesus' day responded to God's invitation, and they were following Jesus. And yet this proud Pharisee who had invited Jesus to dinner would never have thought of extending his own invitation to outcasts like these. My friends, God is a friend of the outcast. God loves the outcast. God loves you. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. I don't care what your track record of failed righteousness might look like. God loves you. And God has provided for you all that is needed in Christ. If you have an appetite for him, God has all that you need. The table has already been set. Everything is ready. He simply calls for you to trust in his Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's still room at the master's table. In the parable, there's still room after those who are blind and crippled and lame and ultimately suffering in so many ways, the poor. There's still room after they've all been brought in from those areas of the neglected. And so in the parable, the master extends his invitation even further. The slave said, Master, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. That is, God sent his messengers outside of the city limits of Judaism to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world who were out along the highways and by the hedges. That is, because of Israel's rejection, this gospel has come to all of us as God has always planned that it would. And his great banquet, in that banquet, the Lord will give a great multitude who we cannot count from every nation and tribe and tongue the honor of being placed at this table. So God's invitation is a broad invitation. It includes people from every race, no matter what an individual's background or his religious context was, or even if he was completely pagan before that point. We commit a great error when we make the church into this exclusive sort of club for the religiously inclined who are just like you and me. Have you ever looked at someone and thought that person wouldn't be interested in the gospel because he lives a very ungodly life? Have you ever looked at a person and said that person wouldn't be interested in the gospel because of the religion that he grew up in? You ever looked at someone and said that person wouldn't be interested in the gospel because of the things they're wrapped up in or the way they dress or or the way they conduct themselves? Whenever we think like that, and and if we're honest, all of us have thought that way at some point or another. We're limiting God's broad invitation of the gospel. His gospel will transform every sinner from every background who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To every person on this planet, the Lord says, come for everything is ready now. But for the Christian, I ask, are you hungry For God's house to be filled. Because that's God's ultimate desire. For his house to be filled. When those who were invited will not come. God wants his house to be filled. And so he sends his servants to go and to bring out individuals who will not reject the invitation. And he tells his servant, compel them to come in. He's ultimately desiring that his house will be filled. And if it's going to be filled, then he's urging others and his servants urging others is necessary 
Because there are people who do not know the host of this banquet. There are people who need to be compelled. There are people who need to be urged to respond to this gospel. And are you hungry for God's house to be filled? Are you compelling others to come into this banquet? This past week, we saw, if if you've been keeping up with the news at all, we saw one of the most powerful displays that I can recall in modern history of the gospel being compelled upon an individual who is unworthy of the recipient, being a recipient from this one who conveyed it, at least. This past week, 31-year-old Amber Geiger, a former Dallas police officer, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the shooting and killing a 23-year-old, Botham Jean, whom she thought was an intruder after she mistakenly entered his apartment when she thought it was her own apartment. And Botham Jean's 18-year-old younger brother, Brant, had only two rules as he stepped up this past week in court on Wednesday to give his victim impact statement. The two rules were this, no threats, no profanity. But what he chose to do with that statement stunned the courtroom and the nation. Speaking for himself and his deceased brother, he said to Geiger, I want I don't want to say twice to you or for even the hundredth time that what you've done or how much you've taken from us, I think you know that. But I hope you go to God with all the guilt, all the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we were not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And then he told her that he loved her as a person, that he wanted the best for her. And he told her what was best for her with these words. He said, the best would be give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do, he said. And as he closed his statement, he made a simple request of the judge and said, can I give her a hug, please? After a brief silence, he asked again, please. And some of you have seen it as as they went to the middle of the courtroom. This this man whose brother had been killed unjustly. And the woman who had killed him unjustly. The one who had lost and the one who had been accused and convicted. The criminal they embraced there in the middle of the courtroom. As Brant Jean ultimately encouraged her to come to Christ and find Christ forgiveness even on the today show this week they were talking about how that was not normal that that had to be supernaturally enabled he was using his moment to compel her to come to christ and friends i I don't know where you are in your world right now but the chances are you've got a moment in which you can compel others to come to christ Maybe you're a parent and you've got some children who are kind of wandering around your home. You have a moment in which you can use to compel those young children to come to Christ. Maybe you're the only Christian in the workplace and everybody else is kind of mocking you for what you do. But you, my friends, have a moment in which you can compel others to come to Christ. Maybe you've got friends or you've got neighbors who are lost and wandering without hope. You have a specific moment that you can use. Maybe you're facing great loss. Maybe you're in the midst of a deep suffering. 
You have a moment, my friends, through which you can show that there is something greater to hope in than the failures of this life. Use your moment. Show others Christ. Compel them to come in because the master desires that his house would be full. And so let us go to the nations. Let us go to our neighbors. Let us go to our coworkers. Let us go to our children. Let us go to our families and compel them to come in while there is still time. That leads to the last bit of encouragement I have for you as you consider this invitation. Come and dine while there is still time. Still there is room. Millions have been saved, but still there is room. Millions have been invited and have come. They have gone to heaven, but heaven is not yet full. There is a banquet there which no number can exhaust. There are wells there which no number of individuals can drink dry. There are seats there that many more may occupy. Heaven is not full and still there is room. And so you can go to your children and tell them there is still room. You can go to your neighbors and tell them there is still room. You can go to your family members and tell them there is still room. Because, my friends, there is still room. God is still welcoming individuals into this great banquet. And the gospel excludes no one who does not exclude themselves. But God ultimately will not permit those who reject the gospel of Christ to share the feast that leads to eternal life with Him. That's why He says in verse 24, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. He will not force you into His kingdom. We all have the same calling to both believe the gospel and to champion the gospel. And so I ask you, my friends, how is it with you? Have you given your life to the gospel that ultimately leads to eternal life? Have you accepted the invitation to this banquet? Because the good news is, Jesus has made all the preparations. He has set the table completely with all that you need. And he simply invites you to respond to his invitation to come. Everything is ready. Come now. Is that a response that you've given? Have you yielded your life to Christ now? Have you said, I want Jesus to be the Lord over me now? If you have, are you compelling others? Are you seeking the Father's heart that His house may be filled? I'm going to pray here in just a moment. If you've never responded to this invitation, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never stepped through the door into this banquet of the riches that God lavishes on us in Christ, if you do not have a hope that one day you will spend time with him around this table. You will enjoy eternity with him forevermore. If that's not your hope, then I want to give you the best news you're going to hear. 
And I hope you'll respond to it while you still have time. The door is still open. The invitation is still extended. And Christ calls you to come now. If you come, He will save you. He will make you new. He will give you a new purpose and a new plan, a new outlook on life and an eternity that shall never be taken away. So bow with me in prayer, if you will. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that there is still time to respond to this invitation. As long as we have breath, as long as Christ has not returned, God, we thank you that you are still welcoming individuals into your blanket, into your banquet. Those out on the highways, those along the hedges, those who are desperately in need for something beyond themselves, oh Lord, you continue to invite in. God, we praise you for your grace and that you continue to welcome broken individuals like me, broken individuals like so many others here today into your kingdom. And so, Father, as we close in these final moments, I just pray that you would do what only you could do, God. I've compelled to the best degree I know how with the words that I could speak that are based upon your truth, but God, only your spirit can draw individuals to yourself. And so, Father, I pray that by the preaching of your word, you would cause any individual who does not know you, any individual who is living afar from you, any individual who has not come to this banquet to come now. God, I pray you would draw them to the sweetness of who Christ is, to, to the fullness of what we receive in him. And I pray that as they respond, O oh Lord, they would find life from you. Bless us as we pursue these things in these closing moments, Lord. And if you are drawing someone to yourself, I pray you give them the courage in these final moments of invitation to respond to that drawing by just stepping out, by walking down to greet me that I might give them a word of encouragement, that I might give them a word of guidance if that's needed, that I might be able to celebrate together here with this flock what you're doing, O oh Lord, as you draw broken sinners to yourself. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.